Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Six Right now in Edmonton, it's minus one. I'm Randy Kilburn. Your next scheduled newscast is at 2 o'clock on 6.30 Ched. Make your summer sizzle at Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Whether you're celebrating a momentous occasion or just out for a night on the town, raise a steak in celebration with Ruth's Chris. Come in now and enjoy their prime time menu and dine on two courses for $49. Want a little extra? Add an additional course or glass of house wine for only $10. Make your reservation by visiting ruthschrissteakhouse.ca and come hungry, darling. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Managed print services to keep your printing costs down? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. All right, all right, all right. It's 133 in Edmonton. Bob Stoffer, Brendan Escott with you in Oilers Now. Just before we bring aboard Jack Michaels, the trivia question I had for you today for Greta Barr was name the Oiler player who scored 27 goals in his first 32 games in Edmonton. With the answer and our winner, here's Brendan Escott. Jimmy Carson is the answer to that question and our winner today, Dennis Asota Edmonton. Now that's Jimmy Carson had a 55 goal season with the LA Kings before coming to Edmonton. He finished that season, scored 20, uh, on this date in 1988. Carson picked up two goals. The Oilers lost 7-6 to Winnipeg. Those were the days. And, uh, and then he got two goals in his next game against the Maple Leafs to go up to 27 goals in his first 32 NHL games with the Edmonton Oilers. I'm not kidding you. At that time, if you had told me that less than a year later Jimmy Carson would have been traded, I would I mean, why did you trade him? He had 27 goals in his first 32 games. Well, as it turned out, Jimmy wasn't very happy with the pressure of being in Edmonton and uh, basically asked for a trade at the start of the 89-90 season. Glenn Sather was able to turn Jimmy Carson into Joe Murphy, Adam Graves, great character guy, uh, Peter Klima. And those three players all played substantial parts of the Oilers' 1990 championship. But Jimmy Carson was the second fastest player next to Wayne Gretzky to score 100 goals in the NHL. And I don't think Wayne had 27 in his first 32 games with the Oilers in the NHL. All right, uh, without further ado, Jack Michaels, my play-by-play partner. Jack, how you doing? Good, Bob. How are you? And, you know, as, as funny, you were talking about Jimmy Carson 
you know, one of the one of the real mysteries of the NHL, to be honest with you, and, and a lot of people will tell you, I, I know I've talked to different guys around the league, a lot of people tell you, you know, not so much unhappy at Edmonton, just, you know, not a guy who lived and breathed hockey, uh, yeah. not a guy who ultimately – quote-unquote, loved the game a, a great deal. I, I don't think injuries helped, but he's one of the more intriguing, you know, figures in the game in terms of uh, what kind of potential was left untapped. No, oh, there's no question. I mean, you look at his first three seasons in the NHL, Jack, with the Kings in 87, and they played the Oilers that year in the playoffs, as you know. He had 37 goals and 79 points in uh, 80 games as an 18-year-old. Then as a 19-year-old, scores 55 goals and 107 points. And then he comes to Edmonton in the Gretzky trade, and he had 49 goals and 100 points in 80 games. Like, I realize he wasn't a 150-point player. He's 160. Well, Wayne was a 190-point player uh, for a number of years, 200 point, But he was still really good. And then after that year, it just, you know, he, he only had one other 30-goal season in the NHL. It's kind of crazy when you think about how good he was the first three years he was in the National Hockey League. Well, and it's also testament, I think, to what, Wayne Gretzky meant to the Edmonton Oilers organization because if you could somehow, you know, put yourself in a bubble and not talk about what he meant to the community, what he meant to putting Edmonton on the the big league map, to making Edmonton a major league city, to, you know, making all the players around him wonderful players. If you existed in, say, a, a hockey database bubble, and looked at the numbers at the time of the trade, you might be thinking, all right, one guy's 27 and maybe cresting. The other guy's coming and looks like he's on track for similar type numbers. I know that, and I don't want people to misinterpret what I'm saying, but I, I thought one of the real, you know, telling comments that, that Glenn Sather made in some of these retrospectives on the Gretzky trade is, above all else, uh, Peter Pocklington did not recognize what Gretzky meant to the organization. And that was where the real damage in the trade was done. Uh, because, again, if you, if you operate in a vacuum, you might be thinking, all right, maybe this is the time to, to sell high and, and, and bring in a guy who looks like he's going to do the same thing. But as we know, there's only one Wayne Gretzky. There's only one guy from Brantford, Ontario, who embraced the city and, and made it his own. That, that was not in Jimmy Carson's toolbox and that's the one thing when we get too wrapped up in numbers and i'm going to take this you know back to some of the silly arguments you and i have that's the one thing when you get too analyst heavy it removes some of the stuff that made some of these great players great and and obviously there's numerous examples in other sports and in other cities but but that's one where i i always I'm intrigued, number one, by what really happened to Jimmy Carson, and number two, you know, by the fact that I'm sure on paper it looked like, you know what, Edmonton might have a really good player. Lots. There's no, like, I can tell you, I was, uh, that was the first year I worked at, uh, CGSR, which was the campus station, and John Sexsmith used to do his show over there, and, uh, 
the Oilers, of course, were the reigning Stanley Cup tr- champs. And at the point, I, I recall around this time when he had, you know, he had four goals in two games to take him up to 27. People, think about it for a second. He had 27 goals in his first 32 games. Jack, coming off of a 55-goal season. Like, right. and that, that was it like one like of, he was going to outscore Gretzky again at that point. And it, so you're, you're thinking to yourself, that's one of the they, – plus they got Jelena in the deal. Plus they have – million to breathe new life into the franchise. You know what I mean? And three number yeah. one picks. And three right. no, you're so, thinking – and, yeah. and if you take advantage of the picks, like Jimmy Johnson did in Dallas in another sport and in another decade – you know, maybe, well, actually, yeah, five years, uh, technically another decade, but I, I'm forgetting myself. It was actually a little closer than I'm realizing. But, but yes, honestly, you know, that's why in trades, and you and I talk about this all the time, it is very difficult to declare a winner in a big trade. And obviously, Gretzky's the biggest in the history of the sport. But in any sport, it is, I really have to, and I do it myself, so I have to put the brakes. It's like, wait 12 months, wait 18 months, wait 27 months. You got to wait before you start declaring winners. And you know what? Paul Fenton has been panned a little bit, but like, look at a guy like Kevin Fiala. You know, he's starting to blossom. When that trade was made and, and the early returns and he was struggling a bit, you know, there are guys that it, it'll take a while. And now you and I, Bob, are probably thinking, I don't know, does, does Mikhail Granlund have it anymore? You know, w- when that trade was made, we're thinking, what What are they doing? So, you know, it's just one of those things where, and this is a very, you know, big example, but trades involving high-profile guys, boy, you gotta, you got to be really careful. You don't try to evaluate too early. You would have some people, Jack, that would say in the Taylor Hall for Adam Larson trade that in the first year, Edmonton won the trade. In the second year, Taylor Hall won the league MVP. Right. Okay. Taylor gets hurt, hurt in the third year, and traded to Arizona in the fourth year. Larson's plus minus the first two years at Edmonton, and I know some people hate plus minus as a stat, but when you're a defensive defenseman, so you get tough matchups, and you're plus thirty one in the first two years, those are decent numbers. And obviously, he's he's struggled, and he's a guy. If we do return to play, and it looks like we're going to jack, Adam Larson's a guy that needs to step up here and, and play a shutdown role and get back to being, uh, get back to being the Adam Larson we saw in the first year and a half. Well, and, and the other thing about that trade now is if you're Arizona, or sorry, if you're New Jersey, you know, do you, do you feel like you won that trade? Uh, yeah, you, you got an MVP and a playoff appearance out of it, but where are you now? And and I, I'm not saying that Edmonton necessarily won it either. All I'm saying is since that trade, you know, the, the Oilers have been in the postseason twice, the Devils once. Now, New Jersey's showed some improvement. One of the real little-known fact I came across yesterday is New Jersey actually had the 10th best record in the league from December 22nd on. I, I would not have known that. Uh, but, you know, that's what I'm saying. Like, when, when people want to declare a winner in that deal, you might say that Edmonton lost the deal, but I'm not sure you can say Jersey won it. They don't really have a lot to show for it, do they? No. 
I mean, you brought up the you brought up the NFL. Were you going to talk about the Herschel Walker trade? Was that the one you were referencing? Where where they got all those picks? What what the Vikings did is they they miss <laughs> Jimmy Johnson took them to the woodshed. All those picks were not originally part of that deal, but there was a subtext in that deal that if the Cowboys didn't take some of the veteran, didn't re-sign some of the Minnesota veterans that came the other way, that they would become picks. And that's where Minnesota's general manager at the time, a fellow by the name of Mike Lynn, just didn't understand the deal in a way Jimmy Johnson. He assumed that Jimmy Johnson would would keep the veteran players who could still play. Jimmy Johnson was saying, we're not going to be spinning our wheels anymore. We're rebuilding entirely through the draft. And so those Minnesota veterans became draft picks when Dallas released them. And and so that's that's what really made that trade so lopsided, turning them into picks and then turning those picks into Pro Bowl players. You cannot, as the Oilers proved in the 90s, you cannot take advantage of a trade laden with high draft picks if you don't hit on those picks. And, Bob, I'm not going to run them down because you know them better than I do, number one. And, number two, I'm sure listeners to your show are well aware because you've made them aware. That was one of the things that really you know, handcuffed the Oilers in the mid and late 90s is not taking advantage of those those picks in the late 80s early 90s well the funny the funny thing i mean that as you know the two leagues are different uh, and the non-guaranteed contracts so that worked to dallas's advantage and then part two with the nfl is guys in the nfl get drafted at 21 and fourth fifth sixth and seventh round picks matter in the nfl and when you're talking a fourth or fifth or sixth or seventh round pick in the nhl like look at the excitement already jack over carter savoy a fourth round pick but you don't know in the nhl for for three or four years often. I mean, the Oilers hit with three picks uh, in the 2015 draft with Caleb Caleb Jones, Ethan Bear, and John Marino. And when I mean they hit, all three of those guys, you know, are, are going to play in the NHL. And, that and that's off- not including the other guy. Right. So, and, and that often, do- <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, the, the, the number one pick in, tw- in 2015 was pretty good. We knew he was good. We knew he was going to make it. But you know what I'm saying? Like it, it so it worked to the advantage and of the that's Dallas Cowboys. the Oilers in, in the middle portion of, of uh, the last decade. I mean, that's, that's what really, you know, Edmonton has had, you know, seismic struggles in, in, in certain chunks of drafts. And I, I think you'd agree with me that, you know, from about 2009 to 2014, you know, after some of the high picks and even, you know, a, a number one pick, obviously, in 2012. But after that first round, the Oilers had some stuff that just didn't work out in the manner in which it was intended. And well, I, I think I think the Oilers suffered for that, and I think you'd agree with me. Well, I mean, I was critical of Kevin Prendergast when he was the, the amateur scout for the Oilers. And in time, I'll say this about him. I, I don't know how, who had influence over what. If we're talking, uh, Kevin actually hit on some second round and third round picks throughout the 2000s. And of course, Barry Fraser was largely responsible for the Oilers scouting, uh, you know, dating back from 1979 all the way until the late 90s. KP kind of took over in the 2000s. 
The Oilers, even in 2003, they didn't have a great first-round pick. They traded down and traded out of a spot where they maybe could have taken Getzlaff or Parise, and they took uh, Marc-Antoine Pouliot, but they did hit a bunch of picks a little bit later on. Um, and Whereas, conversely, the Oilers hit, with the exception of Yakupov, that for the most part they did okay with the first-round picks in the 2010s. But as you mentioned, you know, you got David Musil, uh and, and Mitch Morazza is an example that combined to play four NHL games as second-round picks. And I think, Jack, you talk to people out there, so I'm going to put you on the spot on this one. I'm getting the sense there's more confidence from the fan base in the drafting that's taken place over the last two or three years. Do you get that sense as well? Well, it's, it's borne out in the results. I mean, as you said, you know, even a guy that, that didn't necessarily work out, I mean, for much the same reason that Riley Nash didn't work out, but he went on to have a productive career in the NHL. And by all, you know, it, it looks like John Marino is going to have a, a chance to have that same kind of career. So when you start finding guys that, that are producing for you, and again, you know, Ethan Bear, as you point out, a, you know, a fourth-round pick that, that all of a sudden is, is in your top parent as as a rookie in the national hockey league uh, you know not a not a lot of people had that i certainly didn't uh caleb jones was actually to be honest with you I, you know i was i was probably more excited that they got him in the fifth round than i was despite the numbers he put up in seattle the bear in the fourth round and now it looks like caleb jones still has a chance to you know, I think there's some competition there. I, I think Caleb Jones is very eager to say, you know what, uh, if given the same kind of minutes and opportunity that Ethan Barrett, I, I can do the same thing. And and I certainly believe he's going to be afforded that opportunity this year. And what it all speaks to, Bob, when you start hitting on some of these later round picks and not just with each other, but it breeds internal competition because now all of a sudden it becomes a real problem to make the hockey club. And when I first arrived in Edmonton in 2010, that wasn't an issue for most high draft picks or any sort of player they brought in with any kind of pedigree, Bob, they were guaranteed a spot. Now, when you look at Edmonton's personnel, they're going to leave some NHL talent off their roster. That, in my humble opinion, was not the case at least the first five years I was here. Anyone with any kind of NHL ability was guaranteed a spot. Jack, we know you love the Cleveland Browns. Be honest with us. Were you in shock that they built up the kind of first half lead that they did in Tennessee on Sunday? Was I in shock they were up 31? I, I was a little surprised by that. But, uh, but Bob, I mean, I, I told you it was lock of the week. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm not going to back off what I said on your show. I mean, I didn't think they'd be up 38-7 at the half, but – I am not surprised they won. I'm not surprised they won handily. I, you know, I feel they're better than Tennessee. I feel that, quite frankly, uh, if it can shorten the game against Kansas City, and if it can make Pittsburgh a one-dimensional team, I think the Browns are going to have a shot, you know, to, to maybe make some noise in the postseason. I think they're a good football team. But, you know, I, you know, I didn't think they'd score 38 in the first half. It hadn't happened since 1951. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's that's only, 50, what, 69 years, Jack? And I mean, I just – the one thing I'll say about Cleveland, 
is I got a couple guys that can pound the rock. So they can keep you honest because they can run the football a little bit. And Baker Mayfield's athletic enough to make some plays. Now this week, they're uh, two and a half point dogs. I'd like to thank Cactus Jack. That's not Jack Michaels, but a, a friend of mine, Cactus Jack, for pointing out that the Browns are two and a half point dogs at home this weekend, hosting the Ravens who are coming off a short week. That's the Monday night game. Is this another lock for the Cleveland Browns, do you think? I don't think it's a lock because it's a division game, and I would still maintain that, you know, the top three in that division, it makes us – the top three in this division are the toughest in football. I mean, all the way through, you might have some arguments with other divisions. I don't know. I, I think the top three are as tough as they come. Uh, Baltimore will not be easy. Uh, but on the other hand, am I living in fear of a Baltimore team that – Casper, what, 115 yards against the worst defense that the Dallas Cowboys have ever suited up? Uh, no, not really. I, I, I think Cleveland has a bit of a chip on its shoulder, and they earned that chip because they were embarrassed in blowout losses to Baltimore and Pittsburgh. They had something to prove against Tennessee, and I'm sure they haven't forgotten how they were humiliated the last time they lined up against Baltimore. I think they'll be ready to play. I don't think all is well with the Ravens just because – you know, they beat Dallas at home. Uh, I don't think Baltimore is that good a ball club. I expect Cleveland to win again. Yeah, I think Baltimore has lost a little bit of that intimidation on defense. Uh, I don't think they can stretch the ball vertically either via the pass. Uh, and they do rely upon the sheer athleticism of uh, Lamar Jackson. Have I got any concerns this week, Alabama and Arkansas, Jack? What do you think? <laughs> concerns that you might have nothing to watch after the first quarter. If that's your concern, yes. I, For the life of me, Bob, I don't understand how you can watch that much blowout football year after year. I was, I was fairly close. What did I put the line at? 41 and a half last week. And, and I think uh, LSU, by my line, covered, losing by 38. Uh, against Arkansas, the official Michaels line is no line. There you go. Jack, warm up those vocal cords. Uh, next week we'll talk. I'll, we'll get into some specifics on the Canadian teams. Okay, my man? I'll look forward to that. Bob, have a great weekend with your family. You bet. That is Jack Michaels from the Oilers Radio Network. It is 1.53 in Edmonton. Uh, there we go. Uh, you can text us at any time. This text comes in saying, Bob, Keith Kretzky has been better, and I have more faith in him than I did in Barry Fraser. Well, uh, Keith was moved out of amateur scouting uh, for the 2020 NHL draft, but was involved uh, really, and in fairness, on the 2015 uh, selections that we mentioned, Jones in the fourth, Ethan Bear in the fifth, John Marino in the sixth. That was Pete Chiarelli's crew that drafted that. Keith was with Boston at that time, got Jake DeBrusque in the first round. That was the pick that he was allowed to uh, make. Uh, oh, they had three, by the way. Oilers GM texted the show to say, Bob, do you think the Penguins would, would have traded Lemieux and $10 million for Gretzky? Keep in mind, uh, at the time of the Gretzky trade, the Penguins hadn't won a cup yet. I think Jack brought up a great point last week. One of the differences between Pittsburgh maybe only winning two and the Oilers winning five was Glenn Sather. Um Certainly say they played a significant part in the uh, 1990 Stanley Cup championship by able by being able to parlay our trivia answer today, Jimmy Carson, into Joe Murphy and Adam Graves, along with Peter Klim. Of course, Murphy and Graves uh, joined Jellin on the kid line for game five against Winnipeg. How did the Oilers do from that point on in the playoffs? They were pretty good. Remember, they were down 3-1 to the Jets. They went 16-6 and in that playoff year, so they went 15-3 and the rest of the uh, way. 
once they executed that trade, people forget. I think Edmonton outscored Boston 20-8 or 21-8 in the final. Uh, Mark Messier, Glenn Anderson, and uh, Craig Simpson lit the Bruins up. Which, And as a result of those matchups in 88 or 1990, I do not feel the same way about Ray Bork that many others do. Uh, again, you can text us at any time. Uh, no, no. Uh, I will be joining Reed Wilkins tonight on Inside Sports, unless he's already booked somebody better. What else has he got shaken for the show, uh, Brendan Escott? Well, uh, Rebels play-by-play voice, Cam Moon. Will Maybe in. I have been bumped. There we go. <laughs> You're still there. You're the first name on the list. Uh, Cam Moon will check in with uh, an update on Canada's World Junior Selection Camp. And then uh, you'll hear from Rob Van out of the Regina Leader Post Sports. He's a columnist and was the only voter who didn't vote for either Alfonso Davies or Laurent Duvernay-Tardy for the Lou Marsh Award. I guess Did we'll he- find out why. Did he vote for Jamal Murray? I'm just wondering who he would have voted for. Anyhow, look, hey, thanks to everybody for listening to uh, today's show. There was lots of interactive uh, contributions, which were much appreciated. Uh, coming up, uh, we got the 6.30 Chad Afternoons with Jalen Knight. We will tell you that a 41-year-old man is facing charges after two Somali women women were attacked outside a South Edmonton shopping center Tuesday. So this is an incident that the ES, uh, EPS are investigating for hate crimes and violent extremism. Uh, To talk about that, uh, McEwen University hate crimes researcher Irfan Chowdhury will join Jalen and I just after 2 o'clock today. Again, we'll be back tomorrow. Guests will include Elliot Friedman, George LaRock, and Mark Spector. Stay tuned. Up next, the Global News Weather Traffic Update with Randy Kelburn, followed by the 6.30 Chet Afternoons with Jalen and I. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 6.30 Chad.